You're listening to the Bar Business Podcast, where every week, your host, Chris Schneider, brings you information, strategies, and news on the bar industry, giving you the competitive edge you need to start working on your bar rather than in your bar. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bar Business Podcast. Today will be the third podcast we have in our series, Menus That Sell. Two weeks ago, we talked about how to plan a menu. Last week, we discussed how to design a menu. And this week, we're going to get into how to execute and optimize your menu. As I mentioned last week, I'm also, in addition to the podcast, currently working on a couple books. One of those is going to be a book that covers the same material as the last three weeks that will be called Menus That Sell. If you have a chance, go join our Facebook group, Bar Business Nation, because what I'm going to do is sometime probably next month in May, when I have the first draft done of the Menus That Sell book, I will be offering that to anyone that wants to read it in the Facebook group for feedback and to make sure it's what everyone wants before I go ahead and get that published. So if you want to get on the front line of having access to that book, join the Facebook group. And that opportunity should come up, like I said, sometime within the next month or two, sometime in May. In addition, I have to mention that my first book that will be coming out, How to Make Top Shelf Profits in the Bar Business, will be published sometime next month, um, around about the same time that Menus That Sell will be available for the Facebook group. And that is a wonderful book that covers 75 lessons on proven strategies to make it in the bar business. It is everything from how to write a business plan. We have chapters in there about merchant services, about leasing from landlords, anything that affects the bar business from the technical business aspects to training, menus, how to have good drink selections, what you need to know about beer, liquor, and wine. So that is another great resource that should be available for everyone next month. And so with that, let's go ahead and dive into our third edition of the Menus at Sell series how to execute and optimize your menu. For the first part of this episode, we're going to talk about how to execute your menu. And I think too often, we all in the bar business get the idea that I've written the menu, I've written my cocktail list, and we are good to go. We no longer have anything to do. And that could not be further from the truth. The fact of the matter is that any menu development is continuous. And you have to continually work on, optimize, and develop your menu in order not only to keep things fresh and fun for your guests, but also to ensure that you're hitting the price targets you need to hit, that your cost is where it should be, that you are giving yourself the optimal opportunity to make as much money as possible while still providing your guests with a great experience and your staff with the tools and training they need in order to sell those items for you. When we're looking at execution, let's start behind the bar and then we'll move in the kitchen. So behind the bar, we have to set up everything for success. To do that, obviously, the first step is training. And if you listen to the other podcasts, you know that I believe in training and I believe in training over and over and over and over again. You need to make sure that your staff, your bartenders can execute every cocktail on that list perfectly every single time. There should never be a difference between who's working behind the bar and the experience that the guest has and the drink that the guest gets. So you have to make sure everyone is trained perfectly. And if you've listened to some of the other podcasts I've done that regard staff training, team training, and getting everyone up to speed to the point where they cannot fail to provide the perfect experience and product to your guests, you'll know that I think that training should all follow essentially a four-step process, tell, show, do, and review. Tell being you explain how to make that cocktail, show being you show your staff how to make that cocktail, 
do is when you make them make that cocktail and review happens both in the training, at the end of the training, walking them back through everything they learned, and then continually as long as that menu is in place. You need to always be testing your staff and always making sure that your team can deliver that perfect optimal experience for your guests executed the right way consistently every single time. Now, in order to train your team to provide that perfect experience with absolute consistency, drink to drink, week to week, guest to guest, you need to create a written guide for your bartenders that covers every single drink. And frankly, it should include pictures of every single drink. There should be no question about what the garnish looks like, about what the color of the drink should be. And that written guide needs to be detailed, not just a list of ingredients. You can't say, you know, it's an ounce and a half of vodka and it's a half ounce of this and a quarter ounce of that. It needs to say how it's built. Is it shaken? Is it stirred? What are you doing when and where? It should be absolutely prescriptive down to the smallest detail of how you want it done. Now, we all know not everything is done perfectly every time. Not every bartender is going to do things the exact same way. And that's okay as long as you have a consistent product. But in order to give yourself the best chance of having a consistent product, in order to give yourself the best chance of getting your staff to execute perfectly always, you need everything written down. You need them to be able to refer to a written guide if they ever have a question that walks them through exactly what to do. And the other thing too behind the bar, and this is something that we often overlook, in kitchens we talk a lot about mise en place making sure everything is where it should be in order to be effective and being able to execute the menu properly. What we don't always think about is bar mise en place. Now, for a lot of neighborhood bars, for a lot of lower-end bars, this is pretty easy. You pretty much need a garnish tray because you're not having a lot of complex garnishes. There aren't a lot of complex drinks. But the more complex you get, the more high-end you are, the more cocktail-focused you are, the more important that mise en place is. If you have syrups that you need for different drinks, if you have different types of bitters you need, if you have a whole assortment of garnishes that you may use drink to drink, it all needs to be readily available for the bartender. And essentially, you want to make sure that every station in your bar can put out that drink without a problem quickly. Because your specialty cocktails, your cocktail list should represent a lot of the drinks that you are selling. So you absolutely must make sure that those drinks can be executed well and executed in a timely fashion. Bottom line here is that steps are money. If your bartender has to walk all over the place to get what they need to execute a drink, A, it's going to have a terrible impact on your guest experience because that specialty cocktail is going to take way too long and that stops your bartender from working on other things that they should be working on. But also, it's going to cost you money. And that's the key here, right? A lot of folks don't worry too much about how much their bartenders run around, not realizing that every second is money in your pocket. You have to make sure your staff is trained behind the bar. You have to give them a written guide they can refer to that has everything they could possibly want to know or need to know. And then you have to make sure they have all the tools, all the supply, everything they need to execute every cocktail on your list at their fingertips. You do not want them running around. Now, when we turn to the kitchen, a lot of things are actually very similar for the kitchen as for the front of house. You need, just like with the front of house where you had a written cocktail book that told your bartenders how to make every cocktail on your menu, for your kitchen, you need a cookbook that tells your kitchen how to make every food item on your menu. And again, this is a place where pictures come in handy. 
If you want everything to always look the same, you need to make sure that your team in the kitchen knows what it should look like. Otherwise, you can't expect to hold them accountable for the presentation of each item. But the thing about the kitchen, what's way different between the kitchen and the bar, is that behind a bar, if you have to flip through the cocktail menu real quick, that's not that hard. But in a kitchen, you obviously don't want your cooks taking a packet of information from somewhere behind the line and flipping through it in the middle of preparing food. So what you need in your kitchen are build instructions everywhere that someone's doing something. So for most bars, we have limited menus, we have smaller kitchens, because our focus is not entirely on food, right? Most bars are not fine dining. Generally, that means that you will have a sandwich table, a refrigerated table with a flip-up top that have most of your garnishes in it, most of the things you're going to use to finish off your plates. And the wonderful thing about that is when you flip that up, you have this whole surface that you can put laminated build sheets on. You can literally put in front of your kitchen everything they will need to do on every item. You need to do that. You need to make sure that the team in your kitchen can always see exactly what they should do on every item. Now, your build sheets probably are not going to include hugely detailed instructions. They probably are not going to include pictures of what plates look like. That's what that cookbook is for. But you do need to provide them with the resources so that they can remember which sandwiches get onions and which sandwiches get a tomato. So that build sheet becomes very important to quickly prevent any consistency issues and to make sure that your team has the knowledge they need at their fingertips to be able to constantly execute perfectly. Once you have the tools in place for your kitchen team, it's the same as it is for the front of house. You need to train, train, and train some more. Everyone in your kitchen needs to know how to execute the food perfectly every single time and consistently every single time. Something you see way too often in bars is people will eat there and they'll be like, well, you know, the nachos are better on Wednesday when this guy works, but the steaks are better on Friday night when so-and-so works. You don't want that experience. It should be the same regardless of who is working. So you need to train to eliminate any variability in the product different members of your team are putting out. In the kitchen, just like behind the bar, we're going to follow that tell, show, do, review structure. Tell them how to prepare the item, show them how to prepare the item, have them prepare the item, and then review it. And just like with the front of house, review it often throughout the time you have that menu. If you see a place where you are having issues, where your consistency isn't what it should be, or where you just need to refine the product going out the door, then retrain on that, just like you would behind the bar. Consistency is key, whether it's in the kitchen or behind the bar, and you must have that to properly execute a menu that's going to sell. Because if someone says, you know what, I really love the fish and chips, and you have one cook that can't really pull off the fish and chips right, their friend comes in, gets the fish and chips, and they have a terrible experience, that does not work. That will cause you to not have the business that you should have. Also, just like with the bar, you got to work on your mise en place. You must have everything where your cooks need it. In kitchens, frequently there is limited space. So you have backups of items in a walk-in that takes a while to get to. Make sure going into every single shift you have that everything you can need on the line is on the line. Do not handicap 
your kitchen having to run back and forth to the walk-in in the middle of a rush. Make sure you have your mise en place done. Now, once you have your bartenders trained on the cocktails and your kitchen trained on the food, you have to train your salespeople. And your bartenders are your salespeople, but also your servers are your salespeople. It's very important to think of your servers as your sales staff. In many ways, a restaurant or bar is really a culmination of a bunch of things that would exist separately in different industries. You're purchasing raw materials. You're using those raw materials to manufacture a final product. Then you are using salespeople to sell that final product to your customers. That final product that you're manufacturing is obviously your food and cocktails, and your salespeople are your servers. So you have to make sure your servers have the tools. And again, this comes to training. Obviously, we're not going to necessarily follow the same training structure because we don't need the service to be able to produce the item. They're not in the manufacturing business. They're in the sales business. But they better know how your drinks and food are made. They better be able to answer questions from guests relating to those items and their production. In order to do this, every single server you have should taste every specialty cocktail and every bit of food that your kitchen sells. There is no way that someone can give an honest, personal opinion if they have not tried something. And we've all been out to eat where we ask the server for a recommendation. They say, well, you know, this sells really well, but I've never had it. That doesn't raise confidence in anyone that that server actually is giving you a good recommendation. In order to have good recommendations, in order to have your servers be able to actually sell your guests, they need firsthand experience with every single thing that you sell on your food and cocktail menu. They need to be able to say, hey, this is what this is. I've had it. I've liked, I like it. And they need to be able to relate your food and drink options to other things people may have tried so that they can say, oh, if you like such and such, then you'll love this. Beyond just knowing how things are made and the ingredients that go in everything, they need to know the background of everything that you offer. So maybe you have a cocktail that is based on a prohibition era recipe that's regional to your area. Maybe you have a fish sandwich that's inspired by a trip you took to Greece. There are backgrounds to everything on your menu, and you need to explain those to your servers. One of the keys to selling anything is to have a story. And think for a second about infomercials. Infomercials are quite a pushy sales method, but they sell millions of products every single day. And the way they do that is largely by telling stories, by giving you information and testimonials about items that convince you that you want to buy them. But the big thing is that they tell you a story. They show you something. They explain something to you that speaks to you. And all of your food and beverage items have a story behind them. Whether that's a personal story that is the genesis of the creation of that item, or it's a story of the producer. Maybe you have a really cool, old-fashioned cocktail that uses a specific type of bourbon that is different than other bourbons. Know the story of that bourbon. Sell it based on the distiller's story. Every item on your menu needs a story that can be used for your service staff to be able to sell that item to your guests. The other thing that you absolutely must make sure 
that your servers always have for everything, whether it's a cocktail or a food item, is upcharge opportunities. One of the best ways to increase your bottom line is to add a couple cents, a couple dollars on every single transaction that occurs. And the way you do that is through upcharging. You need to be able to provide your servers with upcharge ideas for everything so that they have a way to increase not only the customer's bill and what the restaurant's making, but also what they're making because more sales means more tips. Executing your menu is all about training and setting your staff up for success. If your team does not have what they need and the knowledge they need to be able to sell your guests, it doesn't matter what your menu is. It doesn't matter how perfect your food is. You have to execute it properly every single time, and you need to have the tools in place so that your team can sell a perfect, consistent experience week after week after week. So once you've figured out how to execute your menu, once you've done that training, now we have to optimize the menu. And optimizing your menu is something that both takes place while a menu is out, but also between menu. And you have updates and changes and new menus coming out. Something I think is key when we start talking about new menus is that menus really should change on a regular basis. One thing that I see a lot is bars that have the same menu that has existed for a very, very long time with minor changes here and there. I can tell you when I bought my first bar, that's exactly what they had. It was a menu that was a great bar menu, and it was executed well. But it had been the same for a long time, which is little tweaks and updates. And for a while, I kind of continued that. But quickly, I heard from a lot of guests that the menu was not speaking to them. It was great, but they tried everything on it. It was old. It was tired. The whole concept behind it was tired. So I realized I needed to change my menu up, and I needed to change it up more frequently. I think that every bar, at a bare minimum, at an absolute bare minimum, you should be changing your food and cocktail menus once a year. Really, you should be changing your food and cocktail menus seasonally. And there are a couple of reasons to change your menu seasonally that are very important. The first one is, that means you can have less items on your menu. Long menus, as we discussed last week, don't help your team produce the products, and they don't help your guests decide what they want to order. It just confuses people, and it makes everything more difficult than it needs to be. So a seasonal menu really gives you an opportunity to always have a menu that is new and fresh and exciting. The other great thing about a seasonal menu is it allows you to have more seasonally appropriate items. For example, if you're in a place that's cold in the winter, you're probably not going to sell many tropical drinks. But you may sell a great number of tropical drinks in the summer when people can sit outside and enjoy the nicer weather. So having a tropical drink on your cocktail list in February is not going to do anyone any good. Likewise, if we think about the food coming out of your kitchen, serving meatloaf in the winter is a great idea. Serving meatloaf in summer seems a little heavy. But also fish tacos in winter are probably not as good as fish tacos in summer unless you're in Florida or someplace where you buy a beach and it makes sense to serve fish tacos year-round. So you need to allow the seasonal changes in your weather and in what people are looking for to dictate what's on your menu. Generally speaking, for most of the country, that means that you're going to have heartier, heavier dishes in winter and lighter, simpler dishes in summer. You're going to focus on cinnamon and nutmeg, those heavier spices in winter, where in the summer you're going to be more citrus, mint, more herbal, light options. 
having a seasonal menu lets you do that. It lets you reflect the way people feel and what they're looking for season to season. The other thing that's great about a seasonal menu is it allows you to be stuck with losers on your menu for a shorter period of time. If you make a mistake on a food item, and we all will, you have to experiment. You have to try new things. But what you don't want to do is put a menu that you're going to have for a year that has an item on it that's an absolute loser. Maybe your kitchen can't produce it right. Maybe you can't get the ingredients you need to do it right. Whatever the issue is, if you have a seasonal menu, you can have something bad on your menu for a couple months and then take it off. If you have a menu that's going to exist for a year, you're stuck with that item for a year, and that's not a good place to be. So seasonality allows you to better adjust your losers off your menus. It also allows you to tweak and upgrade your winners so that you can win even more. And the final thing that is absolutely wonderful and a reason to have a seasonal menu, especially today where we're dealing with all sorts of inflation, supply chain issues, there's still a crisis going on with chicken and the cost of eggs. Seasonal menus give you more opportunity to change prices and item. Leverage this to your advantage. If you have an item on your menu and the food price goes way up to the point that you're afraid that you can't make money on it, with a seasonal menu in three months, you can change it. Or even more so, if an item just has prices go up to the point that it's not economical, seasonal menus give you the opportunity to roll out a whole new item. Now, when it comes to seasonal menus, I will give this word of caution. You do not want to change every single item on your menu every single season. You want some items that are always on your menu, items you're known for, items that are proven winners, that work month after month after month, that work year-round and are not seasonal in nature. For example, that could be mozzarella sticks, that could be fried pickles, that could be a Caesar salad, that could be a specific type of burger, or if you're in the Midwest, a fried pork tenderloin sandwich. I know in Indiana, if you have a bar and you don't have a pork tenderloin sandwich, you are losing. You want a menu that changes seasonally, but that also stays the same. In general, my rule of thumb is that you should change roughly 50 to 75% of your menu on a seasonal basis. You may even have some items that are multi-seasonal, like you might have a food item that exists in spring and summer, or a food item that is a fall-winter food item. The other thing to consider when we talk about sticking with some of the same items is if you find a real winner something that your guests rave about. While it may only exist in one seasonal menu, it can exist on that same menu year after year after year. So one thing that I became known for, and it was kind of a surprise to me because I'd never really thought of this particular thing being a food item that people would just crave and want winter after winter, but it was meatloaf. I did a grilled meatloaf sandwich. It was a sandwich that people craved as soon as it started getting cold. So say October, November, people were asking, when is this meatloaf sandwich coming back on the menu? And I was started my winter menu in December. Come December, everyone was waiting for this item. There was excitement and it just flew out the door. And then in March, when we put out our spring menu, it went away, but it came back the next winter. And if you really think about it, there's some huge examples of this. And particularly, think about McDonald's. They have the McRib, they have Shamrock Shake. Both of those sell like wildfire. That is because they're limited time, but they come back season after season. Identify things on your menu that can come back season after season that sell, that you can use to build excitement going into your new menu. 
the more excited your team and the more excited your guests are for that menu change, the more impactful and the better it will be received. Now, in addition to having seasonal food and cocktail menus, when it comes to the items on the menu, you also need to keep your menus themselves fresh. That means updating your design, changing the way your menu looks. Not necessarily changing the way you present it overall. If you've always used a menu board, continue using a menu board. But in many ways, your spring menu can look a little bit different than your summer menu, which can look way different than your winter menu. You can actually have things on your menu in the design that speak to the season that you were in. And I really think that having them be a little bit different helps. One thing that I always did with my bars, and I used a menu that was a laminated 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper. Designed well, but just a laminated sheet of paper. So I made sure every season I changed the paper color. Minor change, but it helped in a number of ways. One, it helped differentiate for the guests that there was a new menu out. And two, it helped make sure that my servers weren't giving out last season's menu to someone in the new season because we had different colored menus. Now, obviously, you can go way beyond paper color. You can get into different illustrations on your menu, different menu names. Maybe on your spring cocktail list, you're going to have a bunch of cocktails that are named after flowers, after different spring things that you expect to see out in nature. Whereas on your fall menu, you're going to talk about leaves falling and autumn and harvest. Go beyond just the actual items on your menu and make sure that your design is speaking to the season. Your design is speaking to what's new and updated on that menu. Now, beyond that, you also want to make sure that you actually change the design of your menu. Do a complete overhaul every couple of years. If you think about it, your menu is the best sales tool that your service staff has to sell the items in your bar. So you always need to make sure that it's fresh, that it's updated. And think of it like a website. Generally, when we're talking websites, we're going to want to update your website, do a complete overhaul every couple of years to keep up with the technology, to keep up with the current design that everyone is looking for. And you can do the same with your menu. As a matter of fact, redesigning your menu the same time you redesign your website is smart because then you can make sure that you have a consistent font package, a consistent graphics package, a consistent feel between that menu and your website. We always want to be able to provide our guests with something new, something exciting, and something that will give them a new and unique experience season to season. All this menu changing has essentially one goal, which is to control your bottom line. And controlling your bottom line is really what business is all about. As I mentioned earlier, you can look at the bar business as a culmination of different businesses, right? You have a manufacturing side, you have a sales side, and you're taking raw ingredients and making a final product. There isn't a way to optimize your menu unless you're optimizing your execution. We talked about all the training you need to do. We talked about how to give your staff the tools they need to be consistent and to provide the same experience time after time after time. But you need to monitor that. There's no way to ensure that you're being consistent if you're not constantly monitoring your staff, constantly monitoring your data, and making sure everything is being executed to plan. You can't optimize something where you're not tracking your KPIs and knowing your numbers. The biggest thing here is watching your actual cost compared to your theoretical cost percentages. When we talked about planning your menu a few weeks ago, one of the things we discussed was costing and how to make sure that you have every single bit that goes into a food item costed or a cocktail costing. 
That means that you have a plan. You have a expected cost, a theoretical cost for every item on your menu, whether it's a cocktail menu or a food menu. Now you need to actually monitor what your costs are and see how far off theoretical you are. You're never going to be exactly theoretical. You could, in theory, be lower than theoretical. Don't see that happen much, but it's possible. More often than not, though, you're going to be higher cost than theoretical. Bars at the top of the industry that make the best money are going to be within two percentage points of their theoretical numbers. That is to say that if their theoretical cost for all their liquor is 22%, their actual cost is not exceeding 24%. But you have to know what that actual cost is in order to do that calculation. And frequently, especially in establishments that have not gone through all the training, that don't have all the tools set up, that difference between theoretical and actual isn't 2%. It isn't 5%. It's 10% or higher. I'm sure we've all seen restaurant and bar shows on television where they start talking about costs being out of line by 50, 60, 100%. Obviously, that's not how you make money. But you must know what that cost is in order to do that comparison. And when you find that the cost is off, then you need to go into your data and you need to drill down to find where the problem is. Is the problem that your chicken wings on the menu are just too cheap? And so the cost of those chicken wings has changed in the past few months while you've had your menu out. And therefore, your theoretical cost when you started is much lower than what even your theoretical cost would be today. Is that why your cost went up? Or is it because you undercook a lot of chicken wings, they get sent back to the kitchen, they get thrown away, they get comped, and therefore you have a bunch of extra money spent on chicken wings. Is your theoretical cost high on your drinks because your bartenders are giving away free drinks or because they're overpouring? You need to dig into the data to identify where that problem is so that you can act on that problem and then use the data to help you fix the problem. You cannot be successful and make the most money possible in the bar business unless you constantly are gauging your theoretical costs against your actual costs and then acting to get those within two percentage points of each other. That is always the goal. That is something that you must strive to do each and every day. Now, in addition to just spot checking issues that exist between your actual and theoretical costs, one of the key things to do when it comes to developing menus, optimizing menus, and making sure that if you're doing a seasonally changing menu, you have the right data and the right information going in the next season is menu engineering. And it's really hard to have a detailed conversation of menu engineering on a podcast. I need slides. I need pictures. I need to show you guys a bunch of stuff to really make this make sense. But let's just cover this in the basics. And for those of you that want, join the Facebook group, Bar Business Nation. As I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be putting out a book called Menus That Sell just for a first read to you guys sometime in May for free. And in that book, there will be a much more detailed example of menu engineering, a more detailed conversation about it, and there will be visual aids that help make it all make sense. That being said, though, let's dive in here a little bit about what menu engineering is. So menu engineering is a mathematical formula. It is a concept where we're essentially rating menu items based upon the gross margin or the price of that item minus the cost of the ingredients in that item and menu mix percentage, which is just how that item sells in relation to all the other items on your menu. And when it comes to menu engineering, we can do this for cocktails, we can do this for beer, we can do this for wine, we can do this for food. You can do your entire menu at once, or you can just separate 
for instance, for food, just separate appetizers and run a menu mix percentages on your appetizers versus running a menu mix percentage on everything on your menu. It all depends on how you want to do it. And frankly, sometimes it's worth running the numbers to do menu engineering both your entire menu and each part of your menu by category. The overall purpose, though, of determining the gross margin of menu mix percentage for each item is to be able to bucket them. And what we're going to do is we're going to bucket each item into one of four categories. We have stars. These are your best items. They have a high gross margin and a high menu mix percentage. Plow horses. These are items that have a high menu mix percentage. So we're selling a lot of them, but they have a low gross margin. So it isn't making us a lot of money for each of those. Puzzles. These are items with a high gross margin, but a low menu mix percentage. And dogs, which have a low gross margin and a low menu mix percentage. Something to think about here is that it is all relative. Because we're grading all our items against each other, you will always have items in every category. It doesn't necessarily mean that a dog is a terrible item. One thing you always want to look at is how the items compare to one another. It is possible to have a dog that is almost a star. Always need to keep in mind that it is all relative and that you will always have items in each category. But let's break down a little bit what we can do to optimize our menu based upon each category. With stars, we have a high gross margin and a high menu mix percentage. That's great. Maybe we can charge a little bit more for them. Maybe we can push that gross margin a little bit. And we don't want to push it at the expense of sales so that it has a lower uh, menu mix percentage. But we do want to consider potentially raising that price. Plow horses, we have a high menu mix percentage but a low gross margin. Maybe that's because it's a higher cost item and there's nothing we can do about it. But maybe, again, we can raise the price a little bit and try to edge that gross margin a little bit higher. Puzzles where we have our high gross margin below menu mix percentage, sometimes the correct answer there is to actually lower the price a little bit and see if that helps it sell. Maybe the reason that it's not selling but has a high gross margin is because it's just too expensive and your guests don't want to buy it. Maybe you need to rework that item so that it can be cheaper, use different ingredients. If it's a cocktail using all premium liquors, maybe you need to drop down to more of a call liquor in order to get that price down a little bit for your guests so they want to order it more. But regardless of what you decide to do, one thing you always must remember, not only is it all relative, not only will you always have things in each category, math is not an end-all be-all. Statistical analysis gives you great information, but when you're talking about what items should be on your menu, maybe you have a reason to have a dog on your menu. Maybe you have an item that's a plow horse where you sell a bunch of it and you don't make that much money, but you sell so much of it, it's just worth selling it at that lower price and not having a great gross margin on that item, but in turn having a whole bunch of volume. Don't let the statistical analysis dictate what you do. Allow the statistical analysis to inform your thinking and inform your decisions. Always remember, statistical analysis is never an end-all be-all. It is not the only solution available to you, and you should always think through things and make choices based on more than just the statistics. The key to everything in this conversation that we've been having is that you have to optimize your menu to be successful. You have to make sure that your offerings, that what you have, that everything you're doing provides your guests with the best experience possible and you with the best profit possible. If you can do that, if you can make sure that your guests have a great experience, that you make the most profit, that you have a menu that has been planned well, designed well, executed well, and then optimize that menu season after season, year after year, you will have a menu that 
sells. And that's what the last three weeks have been all about, creating menus that sell. If you want to know more about menus that sell, make sure you go over and join the Facebook group, Bar Business Nation. That is where that preview of the book, Menus That Sell, will be available to everyone for free next month. Also, it's a place where if you have any questions about anything we've discussed in any of the podcasts or over the last three weeks in the Menus That Sell series, I'm more than happy to those for you. If you haven't had a chance, make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast so that you can stay on top of what's going on. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Have a great week and we will talk again later. Thanks for listening to the Bar Business Podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Check out our website at barbusinesspodcast.com and join our Bar Business Nation Facebook group for more strategies and tips.